And watch out where the huskies go And don't you eat that yellow snow Watch out where the huskies go And don't you eat that yellow snow 6.51 is the time, one degree above zero, and we are joined, as we are every Wednesday, by our medical correspondent, Dr. Mitch Shulman. Good morning, Dr. Mitch. Good morning. I hope that isn't going to be my intro music all the time. <laughs> no, but... Watch out where the Huskies go. All right, all right. Uh, but from what I understand <laughs> from the headline here, it's one of the things you want to talk about today. And I'll never know where trends come from, but apparently everybody's talking about eating snow. Really? What is wrong with people? Do they not have enough going on in their lives that they have to come up with this stuff? So, yeah, supposedly the newest trend is recipes to make uh, ice cream with with uh, snow, and they call it snow cream. Sure, right, why not? Except people assume that snow, especially when it first falls, is pristine and clean. Aside from the yellow snow non-joke, the reality of that what people don't realize is as snow descends through the air, it attracts and absorbs a lot of the pollutants that are in the air and brings it down to the earth with them. So if you actually, actually analyze that beautiful, pristine snow uh, as it falls on the ground and covers your garden or your lawn or your sidewalk and actually analyzed it in the city, you'd realize that there's a lot of stuff in there and it may not be the safest thing to consume now if you do it once okay but certainly i wouldn't make a diet of it um now that does mean though that if you were working in an environment which was pristine um if you were out in the country say far away from any industrial or other source of of pollution the snow might be different remember how snow forms snow forms high up in the air at a very low temperature, around a kernel of something. There has to be a core around which the snow crystal forms. And often that core is dirt or soot or pollution in the air that starts the snow on its way to being formed. So however you look at it, this is not something I would encourage, especially if it means this is going to be my theme music every week. Okay, no, I think it's a one-off. Um, the funny thing is I got a text from somebody and I realize it's different in Montreal, but somebody said, where would they find snow? Because we've had almost no snow this year in, uh, in Toronto. True, um, but that isn't the case across Canada. I know. So we'll just leave it like that. Okay. Uh, let's go from things that aren't good for you to something that might be good for you. It appears that having a pet can slow cognitive decline in older people. This builds on uh, a lot of studies that have looked at the value, the advantage, the benefit of having a pet in your life. Now, we're talking about a pet that you can walk or do something with, mainly, when we're talking about a lot of these benefits. A dog, cat, something that you would take out on a walk really does seem to have a benefit in terms of your physical shape. This is a study reported in JAMA Network Open, where they basically looked at elderly people in England, about 8,000 of them, who were either living alone or living with someone, and whether they had a pet or not, and looked at their development of what we call politely cognitive decline over time. It turned out if you lived with someone um, and had a pet, really didn't make a big difference one way or the other in terms of cognitive decline. If, however, you were living on your own, alone, and you had a pet, you did much better, and you were less likely to develop the full develop, the fully blown cognitive decline over time that a person living alone without a pet would have or would develop. And this could be for all sorts of reasons. It forces you to have an organization to your day. It forces you to take care of someone else or something else, depending on how you view your pet. Um, and you have someone to talk to. 
and be with. And it's thought that all these things contribute to protecting someone from uh, decline. Now, we also know that pets can help calm someone who is going through those stages of cognitive decline that may lead to agitation. So there's studies in Japan looking at these fake animals, uh, these seals that are basically mechanized uh, toys, and they're able to calm and to help elderly people. So there are a lot of interesting studies pointing to the benefit of having a pet, both in terms of your mental and your physical state. Okay. Uh, Speaking of cognitive decline, apparently statins might help fight dementia. This is fascinating work coming out of Sweden, and they basically looked at a huge cohort, a huge population, which they can do because of the way things work there. Over 15,000 individuals, uh, average age of 79, almost 80, uh, at diagnosis, and they looked at whether they had been on statins or not. Statins are class of medications which we use to lower cholesterol which were very effectively very well tolerated we were concerned that because of their effects on cholesterol which is involved in cell uh, structure and hormones and everything else that it might cause a problem especially in older people might actually accelerate the risk of dementia of cognitive decline and lo and behold in this study reported in the journal alzheimer's research and therapy they found that no that actually being on a statin reduced your risk of developing dementia and we think it's because it improves the health of the blood vessels now certain statins seem to work a bit better than others this may have to do with the statins that are available in sweden rather than anything else so they compared simvastatin to torvastatin to to a rosuvastatin, and they found that simvastatin, an older statin, um, seemed to be working better, but that may be an artificial result because of the fact that it's used so much more in Sweden. Having said that, at the end of the day, for those of you who are already taking statins to lower your cholesterol and to protect your heart, you can rest assured that they are not going to be the cause of confusion as you get older and may, because of their effects on your blood vessels, help prevent your decline as you get older. One other medical story today, and this would be about early risers and a higher risk of developing eating disorders. Super. As an early riser, I can't wait to hear more about it. Now, this is genetic predisposition. You wake up early because you have to. Yeah. I, I, know, I don't know if you enjoy waking up no. early. We won't discuss this. But it turns out that amongst people who enjoy waking up early, in other words, their chronotype, their body time, circadian rhythm favors them getting up early. In fact, some of these people even tend towards early morning awakening insomnia. They get up first thing in the morning, they go back to bed. They found that the same genetics that predispose them to that characteristic also may predispose women among them to anorexia nervosa. Now, this is just genetic kind of, let's see what's going out here. Let's see, you know, throw it against the wall and let's see what we can find. It doesn't mean that one causes the other, but it does mean that they share certain genetic characteristics in common. And what's the advantage of knowing this? Um, It means that we can take a look at what these things are and maybe figure out a new way to either attack, to treat, to prevent anorexia nervosa. So fascinating research at a scientific level, at a practical level for you and me, 
I'm not going to change when I want to wake up just on the basis of this. Uh, and don't worry in your case. Uh, you're forced to wake up at this time. I assume <laughs> that you don't want to wake up this early in the morning. So I don't think you're at increased risk. Yeah, I have no idea. You know, one of these days, this career will come to an end and I'll, I'll be able to wake up when I want to. And I have no idea when that's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, the days that you're not working or when you are off on vacation, when do you normally, and it's not a question, just this is the statement. Yeah. When do you naturally wake up? And I bet you that'll give you an indication of when you'll choose to wake up when you, uh, when you leave this uh, profession. Thanks a lot, Dr. Mitch. Good to have you. A pleasure. Have a great morning. That's our medical correspondent, Dr. Mitch Shulman.